And also, there's a lot of things that still need to be tied up. We'll talk about the episodes, and then maybe at the end we can talk about who we'd like to see tied up. Yeah, I mean, it's a whole minefield, right? And then it is an actual minefield. (laughs) (laughs) I reckon you could definitely blue up and do a good thrawn, Neil. Oh, yeah. I'd love to see that. I've got to be careful I don't look like Papa Smurf, though. This podcast was recorded remotely and contains adult themes and language. Hello and welcome to TV DNA Ahsoka, episode 7, Dreams and Madness, and episode 8, The Jedi, The Witch, and The Warlord. My name's Adam Hemming, and my co-host is very good at hiding. He's been practicing for years. It's Neil Shepek. I know. <laughs> what do you know? I know that in Star Wars, that means I love you. Ah, there we go. And it's used a lot. Um, obviously, famously with Han and Leia, but it's actually used quite a lot in this episode. Well, we're going to be giving spoilers away for episodes seven and eight of Ahsoka, potentially also for Rebels and other Star Wars content as well. So just bear that in mind. If you haven't yet watched the last two episodes of Ahsoka, pause this recording, go off and do that and then come back. So I enjoyed the recap when I watched episode seven. And a joke I could have made last time round and didn't is that uh, if Thrawn wants to know everything about Ahsoka Tano, all he needs is a Disney Plus subscription. And <laughs> all of those, all of those valuable episodes. <laughs> yeah, and if Disney Plus, if you want to give us a bit of money <laughs> for prompting you and you know saying how great it is, but yeah. That is absolutely one that has just been vital for so many series, actually, recently. Great content. Hashtag not sponsored. So let's, should we cover sort of overall feelings about the final two episodes first? I like it. I I, I really like it. I love all of the developments um, and there's tons of callbacks to Rebels and Clones and I think it's great. I'm loving the development of the characters and where they may or may not be going. I think I would have liked something a bit more, I don't know, satisfying. I know that there's obviously going to be an Ahsoka 2, or maybe it will be under a different name because Ahsoka is basically Rebels Season 5. And that's great. They've left lots of things still to be answered. But, yeah, it would have been nice just to have had something just a bit grander. Yeah, I can see that. I think the definite positives of this show, and I've enjoyed Ahsoka overall as a season, definitely much better than Book of Boba Fett. Uh, I think I've enjoyed it a little bit more than Obi-Wan Kenobi as well, not quite reaching the heights of Andor. But the positives for me, introducing new characters to the live-action stuff. So I've really enjoyed Hu Yang. David Tennant does a brilliant job yep. voicing that character. I've really enjoyed Shin and Balin, but also bringing, you know, Sabine Wren and Hera and Ezra and Chopper and all of those characters, bringing those to the live action scene, I think has been a really, really strong part of this. And I've also really enjoyed all of the fight choreography. I think the spectacle of it has been great. Over the season, definitely less so with the last episode. I would liked a bit more, but and also you forgot to mention Thrawn, who's another character that the fans have just been crying out for. 
And Lars Mikkelsen does such an amazing job. We'll get into that in some detail, but some of the delivery of his lines over these last two episodes has been fantastic. Did I forget to mention Braun, or did I just admit him from my list of characters I've enjoyed seeing? Like, he is meant to be the strategic mastermind, and I'm not sure we saw that in this series, necessarily. Like Not to the extent as in Rebels and the books, but he makes a lot of strategic decisions that are very fitting to his character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his his basic ploy was delay these people from getting to us so we can get away, when I think he had plenty of opportunities just to kill them. He is willing to sacrifice people. He looks at, what do I gain? What do I lose? Leaving Morgan on the planet, leaving the Jedi on the planet, leaving Balin and Shin on the planet. Like he's he looks at things absolutely strategically and weighs up the pros and cons. And I think I think we do see that in the choices that he makes and the decisions that he makes. Yeah, uh, absolutely. He has no compunction at all about <laughs> about sacrificing Morgan as a you know as a new great mother or whatever she turns into and telling her that she's got to stay behind and the thing is also he doesn't tell her he just pauses and lets her process and work it out he doesn't actually tell her that she has to stay behind he just says for the sake of the empire it's worse to that effect grant anything else that you want to pick up as a general overall thought of the show I've absolutely loved it. I'm frustrated that I'm going to have to wait for, uh, you know, whatever the incarnation is of the continuation of this story. But no, I've, I, I have overall enjoyed it. There have certainly been better episodes than others. But overall, as a series, I think there's been some fantastic fights, choreography, fantastic music, fantastic dialogue, fantastic development of characters. I, I cannot wait for whatever is season two under whatever name star wars and disney haven't confirmed yet what that continuation is going to be there has been no confirmation of a second no. of ahsoka but we are expecting there to be another season of the mandalorian which is in this timeline so i wonder whether we might see some of this story continued in the mandalorian season four and one of the reasons i think that is mandalore was mentioned in both of these two episodes We've got Book of Boba Fett, The Mandalorian, and Ahsoka all within the same time period. And there has been rumours that Dave Filoni is going to be working on a film that's going to see all of these different things come together in an Avengers Endgame-style way. I'm sure they are planning on continuation of these stories. And whether that's The Mandalorian or Ahsoka or in a movie, who knows? But nothing has been confirmed as yet. And also, there's a lot of things that still need to be tied up as you say, it'll definitely be continued one way or the other through whatever medium. We'll talk about the episodes and then maybe at the end we can talk about who we'd like to see tied up. <laughs> right, so episode seven then starts with Hera at a hearing. Mm. She's up in front of the council. Is it Ziono? The councillor, whoever who's there. And she's at the hearing because she went against orders and went on this mission to try and find Ahsoka and Sabine. And the whole thing kind of rests on whether it's justified because of the rumours of Thrawn. 
And then we get a lovely cameo from C-3PO, who appears and basically kind of saves Hera a bit in that he says that Senator Leogana had personally sanctioned the trip, which we know that she hadn't, but there's nothing that either Mon Mothma or Ziono can do about it because that's what Lee was saying. Mothma does bring up that she feels like Hera has personal feelings for Ezra and how real is the threat from Thrawn. And Hera's words, which I, I completely agree with, is we have to prepare for the worst and hope for the best. She's not sure what frightens her more what's coming or the fact that they can't see what's coming but yeah i really enjoyed this it was great having c3po we've, we've had r2d2 kind of popping up in lots of different bits and pieces in these tv shows mm. but not really c3po i quite enjoyed him being asked for identification <laughs> and being called a mere droid yeah like, oh, who i am <laughs> it, it looks like here has basically been saved from a court-martial by yeah. Leia and c3po uh, we then see Ahsoka training. Uh, at first I was like, is this a ghost Anakin again or is this some sort of video? We learn it's the last of 20 recordings that Anakin left for Ahsoka. And mm. um, we get some nice name mentions of Grievous, Ventress and Dooku and a nice shot of a training cupboard with all the sort of training balls and, and masks and that sort of gubbins that we've come to associate with Jedi training. It's nice that Ahsoka says to Hu Yang he was a good master and I think that's one thing that certainly this series is I guess not putting Anakin in a positive light is to an extent but it's just adding a lot more depth to the Anakin Vader character and let's face it pretty much all Star Wars output, Vader's at the heart of it, and that kind of almost Lucifer, Rise, Fall, etc., eventual redemption, you know, is pretty much at the heart of the Star Wars narratives and storytelling. Yeah, it doesn't really feel like Ahsoka has a huge amount of angst about Darth Vader. Mm. Like, a lot of this has been about her, you know, she, she left Anakin... And so she was absent from that whole period of him becoming Darth Vader, right? She left the Order. She didn't necessarily leave Anakin. Yeah, but she, you know, they parted ways, essentially. But it feels like a lot of this, or not a lot, of, a part of this series is about her dealing with that. Yeah. He, he's, he did turn into Darth Vader and all the rest of it. And her acknowledging that Anakin was, was a good master. And, you know, we can see that. In, if you watch Clone Wars, you see mm. the good you know, the positive side of Anakin Skywalker. I think it's interesting, towards the end of episode eight, Thrawn gets to speak to Ahsoka, calls her a, a worthy opponent, and and thinks that he knows her because he knew her master, which I think is definitely an assumption that's going to bite him on the blue ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So skip to nearly the end of episode eight. Thrawn says... I know you because I knew your master. I wonder how similar you might become. And then he says, perhaps this is where a Ronin such as you belongs. Do you know what a Ronin is? Well, I mean, it's a Japanese reference, right? So there's clearly some, you know, 
if you go through the Star Wars history, there was clearly some Japanese influences in there. Yeah, no, very much so. So Ronin, and there's also a great film called Ronin as well, um, nothing to do with Star Wars, but it's basically a masterless samurai during feudal Japan. So it's someone who is kind of independent, not quite bounty hunter or mercenary, but someone who's an independent samurai without a master. And that obviously fits very much with the Soka. Just a cultural reference that I thought was a little bit out of place in Star Wars, but whatever. Well, no, it wasn't out of place because, you know, Lucas based Star Wars on lots of kind of old samurai films and Japanese films. Yeah, but didn't name sort of terminology from it. Like they have their own. There ought to be a Star Wars universe word for a Ronin, essentially, is what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, today victory is mine. Long live the empire! Because what he, he signs off with to Ahsoka, you know, clearly we know down the line that's not the case. But no, no, it's... surely not. I mean, so this this kind of training with hologram memories, or I guess post training, or however you want to look at it, you know, maybe her favorite list on Spotify, what, what, whatever. But it's whilst the Purgles are still in hyperspace. Um, and as I mentioned on a previous cast, you know, hyperspace with the Purgles is portrayed very differently to what we've been used to in previous films and particularly the originals. Hu Yang says to her, that what's to say that we're actually going to end up, that these Purgles are going, Purgle, oh, I need to do that. So I also realised Jedi is also plural for the singular Jedi, but where these Purgle may take them. I have heard, canonically, I've heard them called Purgils on the show. Either either Ahsoka or Rebels, can't remember which. I think it sounds much better when you drop the S and call them Purgils. Yes. But anyway. But they're like Jedi. The plural of Jedi is Jedi. Yeah. Same as squid, same as sheep, deer. The Hu Yang says that the odds of them arriving at the same planet in the same part of the planet, you know, that the Purgle are heading to that planet, are astronomically terrible. And that reminded me of Han's Never Tell Me the Odds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a whole minefield, right? And then it is an Literally. actual minefield. <laughs> <laughs> They, they um, jump out of a hyperspace, multiple objects in their path. There's an Imperial minefield. Purgles start jumping again. You know, they don't want to hang around that. But the T6 man, no, it's Ghost, I think, at that point. Is it T6 or Ghost that are in the Purgle? Isn't it Fulcrum? It's in the Fulcrum. Well, whatever ship the Ahsoka and Hu Yang are in, Managed to get out of that particular purgle before it jumps, and ships are incoming. The ships have hit the fan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's a whole chase through a debris field. They go, they dive into a debris field, don't they? And then Thrawn delivers the the, the sickest burn. Jedi are very good at hiding. They've been practicing that for years. <laughs> But then also Thrawn discovers that Anakin was Ahsoka's master. So this is still, we're still in episode seven. Hmm. And when he does, there's an element of, not necessarily surprise, but 
this is information I didn't know. And he was aware of Vader. We know that. They were, to an extent, peers. And so, all of a sudden, that makes him... Again, this is kind of the strategic chess player mind. He starts to make decisions about Ahsoka, and he says she'll be unpredictable and quite dangerous. And yeah. um, so he's starting to put together his kind of character study and analysis of Ahsoka. We then jump to this scene with Ezra and Sabine, the knotty convoy, and they're talking about the Battle of Endor. Uh, there's a really nice line where they talk about the the Emperor dying, or, or that's what they say. Because <laughs> we all know the Emperor didn't really die at the Battle of Endor. Well, yeah, he kind of sort of did, but... Yeah, with the whole close. Yeah, I mean that, that. I know people have issues with with that line of the narrative. We also learn that Zeb is training recruits, um, mm. but being less forthcoming when it comes to talking about how she found him. He just says it's complicated, and like she's clearly feeling a little bit of guilt for what she's done, and that all kind of does get resolved, I think, quite happily in episode eight when we get to Sabine and Ahsoka and stuff. And I think Hu Yang has helped Ahsoka get to that place. But I think it's it's all nice catching up with old friends. But then uh, Balin and Shin appear on Howlers. And Howlers. Howlers, come on. It's like younglings. It's like, where did these words come from? <laughs> um, but then we get these connections being made, right? Thrawn's asking the Great Mothers to find Ahsoka. Yang can't scan for Sabine, so Ahsoka's using the Force to try and find Sabine. And then all of these sort of different things are happening. Sabine and Ahsoka connect, the mothers find her, and then Enoch opens fire, and then the knotty spot Balin and Shin. Yeah, it's interesting. In that particular moment, Balin says to Shin, your ambition lies in one direction, my path lies in another. Parting lesson, impatient victory will lead to defeat. And then Shin and the soldiers pursue um, the Noti and Sabine and Ezra. I think that's interesting. Your ambition lies in one direction, my path lies in another. I mean, Balin has never said that he was either Jedi. Well, he said that he used to be, but he's not Jedi anymore. But he's also not really Sith or Empire. So you kind of wonder where that kind of path will lead and then you've got Shin who is very much more almost Sith and very kind of Jedi-like but is she still a mercenary and um, a Ronin and to be honest these last two episodes don't really answer that a bit more with Shin but not that much with Balin no we don't really know what Shin's motivation is we haven't really had that answered at all so why why she's so motivated to do what she's doing and not just go along with him and follow his path to what he's doing? But his you know we we kind of do know what Balin's motivation is, and there is he believes a bigger power on wherever it is they are. I can't remember. Peridia. Uh, so he believes there's a bigger power that you know that which is Adathmir and Thrawn are running from. Essentially, that's why they want to get out of the galaxy. So we assume by the end of episode eight that that's where Balin is heading for and what he's doing. But we don't yeah. really have a sense. And, and we see at the end of episode eight that Shin is going, she's sort of meets up with some of the bandits that we've seen previously. But it, there's a lot of question marks, I think, up in the air at the end of end of these 
two episodes for those two yeah. characters. The the one thing we do know is that sadly Ray Stevenson, who played Balin, is no longer with us. So it's going to be very interesting. I mean, I don't think it's likely they'll do a Terry Fisher, but they do have to kind of tie up what he's doing in some way. Um, we have had characters recast in Star Wars before, so potentially they may do that because he's such an amazing character. With, with all the sort of CGI stuff they've got going, I mean, you know, we've got literally Hayden Christensen's young face appearing, but I guess it's the likeness of that actor, isn't it? And I'm sure that they would have to deal with that very sensitively with his yeah. his family and, and that sort of thing. It will be interesting to see how they deal with that going forward. I'm sure, they're, I'm sure they've already got sort of thoughts about how that will happen. I've enjoyed Balin throughout the show. I think yeah. it's really, really brilliant. And it's terribly sad that that actor's no longer with us. I also really like Sheen and I, I kind mm. of... There's that moment, isn't there? They have the battle. I mean, we're jumping a little bit around, but they have the battle and Ahsoka reaches out her hand to Shin almost and says, you know, come with us, we'll help you. And she turns that down. And I feel like there's some interesting conflict internally, yeah. possibly for Shin, in whatever future storyline happens. As far as Shin, and I want to come back to Balin, but as far as Shin, I don't think there was much development over these two episodes. Like, like she just, you know, played the role in the narrative that was necessary for the plot. But it was, it, it is interesting that she stayed and teamed up with the bandits, suggesting that she might stay on Peridia. There's also a few suggestions that we're not going to leave Peridia for season two. Like there's important stuff that's going to happen there. And I'll come to this later on, but there are signs that Ahsoka's in the right place for her journey by being on Peridia. But as far as Balin, so if we look at the end of episode eight, he stood on the hand of one of the Mortis God statues. So the Mortis Gods, for those that haven't listened to other episodes or, or watched Clone Wars, etc., are basically like the Holy Trinity of the Star Wars universe. So you've got the Father, who kind of stands for balance. You've got the son that stands for the dark side and the daughter that stands for the, um, I guess, the light side. And Balin, right at the end, is stood on the hand, the statue hand of the father that's pointing to a beacon that is kind of flashing on and off. It's a slightly orangey light, which might connect with Balin's orange um, sabre. And the, the point is, the father is pointing forwards and he's pointing to this beacon. So that definitely suggests a kind of future because that's the last time that we see Balan. And in a way, he kind of is the father because he is looking for a balance. He's neither Sith or Jedi. He is looking for, for something in the middle. So I, I think the final vision we have of Balan definitely suggests that the character has more to his story whether we find out about that story through another character kind of following that journey or whether we get CGI or, or however they deal with that. Yeah, I mean, everyone on Peridia is kind of trapped, right? There is no way yeah. off, off that planet, off that out of that galaxy even. So, you know, they, I mean, yes, they've got a starship. They can fly to other planets within that galaxy, I guess. Mm. But it looks like uh, Sabine and Ahsoka and Huyang are, as you said, where they're meant to be. So they're going to be staying there. Certainly Shin and Balin are still there. So 
there's definitely more story to happen on Peridia. I, I wonder whether Ezra and Hera's story will probably happen in a separate thing. Maybe there's potential for one or the other to be dealt with in the Mandalorian. And, um... Yeah, definitely. And obviously, well, Thrawn and Ezra have headed back, we assume headed back, but almost certainly headed back to our beloved galaxy far, far away. And Hera's there anyway. So, yeah, they're not going to drop that. But, yeah, those two separate galaxy narratives may well be dealt with separately in different seasons. They're in different series. Let's come back to episode seven, then. There's a little bit more to cover on this. So there's a, there's a little bit of a, basically, the, the end of the episode is a battle. So you have Shin and a load of night troopers taking on Ezra and Sabine, and then latterly Ahsoka. She has a fight with Balin. She jumps out of a ship in flight. And if you've ever tried to leave a moving vehicle, <laughs> but a spaceship jumping off a spaceship in flight, really? Anyway, the interesting thing for me is that Ezra turns down this lightsaber. Right? He says the Force is his ally and it's all he'll need. Although, you know, eventually he gets a, a blaster, which he uses. And then in episode eight, he rebuilding a lightsaber. Was, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe he realised he was up against a greater threat than he thought. <laughs> His sort of pacifist, I'm not using a weapon because I'm mm. now a naughty, was short-lived. Well, to be honest, not using a weapon. He was using the force to throw people against rocks. I mean, there's definitely some violence involved. I think it's all because Shin singed his hair and he's like, no, I can't have anyone messing with my hair, dude. <laughs> he does have gorgeous hair. He does, doesn't he? And eyes, right? Those eyes. <laughs> but um, Huyang comes to the rescue for Ahsoka, and then uh, Ezra sort of offers to be a prisoner. Ahsoka arrives, Ezra gets the blaster, and eventually Thrawn recalls everything because he's delayed Ahsoka for long enough. And then this is the moment where Shin is abandoned and Ahsoka offers to help her. I kind of sped through that, but it's largely sort of action stuff. And really good. I mean, I mean, much better action than we were given in episode eight. Then there's, there's time for some hugs at the end of the episode. There's a, a line where Ezra, right, Sabine says to Ahsoka, I thought you were dead. And Ezra picks up on it. Ezra seems a little bit slow to me in these episodes. He keeps on banging on about how important it is for him to go home. If Dawn calls off the pursuit, brings them back, and I think it's Morgan who's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? We, we can finish them off here. And Thrawn says, let me show you what I see. With the enemy distracted, the cargo transfer is now almost complete. We will soon leave. Tano will lose the things she could not afford to lose today. Time. So that's set up. Again, this is strategic thoughts right from episode seven before we get into episode eight which is basically the culmination of this particular tactic just keep them occupied in the meantime we're progressing and we'll leave soon it just doesn't make much sense to me like if you've got troops out there fighting the sokotano and that fight's not over yet keep them out there if the only if the only thing you're looking for is to delay them not destroy them keep your troops out there fighting them it will delay them for even longer. Well, maybe, but... Unless you really need those troops. Yeah, how many troops has he got? 
Yeah, I mean, okay, fine, fair enough. Is he aware that the Night Sisters can regenerate dead troopers and turn them into zombies? I don't know if he's aware of that. He's totally aware of that because he gets them to do it later. <laughs> well, he does later. I'm talking about now. No, he totally. I need your magics. I will. I will need your magics, like great brothers. I think he's. I found his strategy a little bit flawed. I will say, but I don't mind. It's fine. It's all good. But I think he could have pushed it further, and if he had done that, maybe Ezra wouldn't have got home, and that would have been a, a mm. much worse story for us as viewers. Yeah, quite happy with that. But I did think his sort of posturing and sort of. Even though he says he was defeated by one Jedi once, I don't think he's really learned his lesson. So for the end of episode seven, yeah, Ahsoka says to Shin, surrender your weapon, I can help you. Shin decides to leave by the Howler. She's not absolutely not up for being helped. And Ezra says, I think I may be going home after all. And this does feel like an almost Jesus era of Ezra. Like Jesus going out into the desert for 40 days and then coming back more powerful and all of that. Like he's been in, I guess, isolation. There's a better word for it than isolation. Been out of the desert for how how long. He's definitely, I mean, particularly with his beard and his long curly hair and his beautiful eyes. I mean, he is Jesus. Yes. I mean, ultimately, at the end of all of this, we've got Ahsoka and Hu Yang and Sabine all all basically have taken his place and he's been free. So definitely in the future, I think we want to see Ezra doing some pretty impressive stuff to justify that. Not that I think that Ahsoka and Sabine's story will end on Peridia. No, no, I don't. That's the sacrifice that has essentially been made in this show, in this series. So Mm. yeah, we absolutely need to see big things from Ezra in the future. It's a really lovely shots in the opening of episode eight where there are two TIE fighters, you know, instruction to send two TIE fighters after the rebels. And then after this scene where Morgan gets transformed, she makes her pledge to the magics, the old ways, and she's told she's got to abandon her old life. And the blade of Talzin is forged from green fire. At the end of all this incredible visual sequence, these two TIE fighters take off from either side of the thrall. I thought that was set up so beautifully, the sort of mention of send these fighters after them. Then this really lovely sort of witchy scene with this sword and all of this stuff going on. And then the two TIE fighters taking off after that was gorgeous stuff. And the two TIE fighters taking off, you had that klaxon going off in the background. I mean, some of the sounds and music in this, but that kind of famous Star Wars kind of as they went off it it was just so perfect have you any idea why it's called the blade of Towson? no so mother Towson was the head of the night sisters during rebels and i think part of the clone wars but definitely during rebels and is darth maul's mother wow so Towson is very very specific name it's almost like she invested powers into this particular bay, uh, blade, hence why it's named after her. But yeah, she was basically like the head night sister or Baphomet witch. Uh, and yeah, she is Maul's mother. So all very connected. Good factage. <laughs> and oh. also they call it the gift of shadows. The giving the blade of Towson is the gift of shadows, which immediately makes you think 
it's not going to end well. Yeah. <laughs> so big, big old sacrifice from Morgan anyway, but this is perhaps her destiny. We then get the scene of uh, Hu Yang and Ezra building the lightsaber. There's a really lovely discussion about system and method and process. And I really enjoyed this scene between the two of them. Uh, they talk about Kanan Jarrus and Hu Yang's memories of Kanan as a boy. And then they talk about the master and apprentice relationship uh, being chal- as challenging as it is meaningful. Absolutely. And he also says about the concern that Ahsoka's mentioned that Sabine could become dangerous. Like she's not done enough training, but she's still got all this fire in her. You know, she's still almost half Mandalorian, half Jedi. And where can that lead? Yeah, the idea that she wants revenge on the Empire for Mandalore. One of the things that made me think that we'll see her in the in the Mandalorian. But yeah, it's Sabine. It's interesting. Sabine is kind of listening to this conversation, and then just as Ezra is being praised for being a good student, she kind of leaves. And then we get this lovely scene, bit of reconciliation scene, if you like, between her and Ahsoka, where Ahsoka says that she made difficult choices which nobody understood except Anakin, and that Sabine's gamble paid off. And no matter what, I'm going to be there for you. And Sabine says, "I know." (laughs) <laughs> we all know is Star Wars for I love you. Oh, being a Jedi is not just about wielding a lightsaber. No. You can't just wield your lightsaber and think you're a Jedi. You need to train your mind, your body, and trust in the Force. You do. Good stuff. Um, then we get these two TIE fighters finally arriving, and they cleverly shoot out the stabilizers of the fulcrum, which means mm-hmm. that it's going to fall on top of the knotty convoy, these tiny little turtle-like grasshopper creatures. Yeah. <laughs> and they they also shoot out a few of the knotty tamboy before they shoot out the fulcrums. I think the fulcrum is also the T6. In all my notes, it's the T6. It's basically a soaker ship, isn't it? Yes, and I think yeah. I, I don't know whether they, they call I, I'm basing it on the, the Rebels that I've watched, where they talk about the Fulcrum. And I'm not sure whether Fulcrum was Ahsoka's code name or whether that's the name of her ship. Maybe. I've got, yeah. Maybe it's both. Apologetic Adam from the future dropping in here just to say, like, I got that completely wrong. Fulcrum is not the name of Ahsoka's ship. It is, in fact, T6, as Neil said. Fulcrum was the code name that Ahsoka used in Rebels and that was later adopted by Agent Callus and Cassian Andor. And the Fulcrum agents were responsible. Well, they were spies for the rebellion, but they were responsible for recruitment and dishing out missions as well. My bad for getting that completely and utterly wrong. Apologies. Please don't at me. Sabine basically, well, Ahsoka and Ezra are holding up the ship with the force. I don't know why these noti are are so important. (laughs) They need all of this attention, but they, they seem to be. Um, but they hold up the ship while Sabine kind of takes out both TIE fighters by giving a short burst on the engine. Yeah. I mean, the Noti will basically sell toys and merchandise, won't they? Um, which is a much honoured Star Wars tradition. What is interesting is Ahsoka uses a kind of force push with the Fulcrum, which is also what Sabine does with Ezra when he makes his big. Leap. Then they've got the whole line of this will slow us down a bit. And it's like, only if we let it. And I'm like, that's exactly it. There are other ways of moving. Yeah. <laughs> Thrawn's strategy is so flawed. Anyway, they jump on some howlers, as it were. <clears throat> Thrawn is preparing for a ground assault. 
We then get Morgan blessing the night troopers who have volunteered to make a sacrifice. Another mm. another sacrifice by Thrawn. These night troopers are they they basically are gonna they're not gonna be on the Star Destroyer when it leaves. There's a lovely again more comedy from Hu Yang and David Tennant when he's trying to fix the ship with all of the knotty and he says you know they're. Ahsoka's asking how long he's going to be, and he's like, "Don't wait for me." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then and then it's yeah, it's all about this sort of basically this race for Ahsoka, Sabine, and Ezra to get to the Star Destroyer before it leaves, and all the yeah. obstacles that are put in the way. Um, and there's some really lovely stuff here. They 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 fire on them from the Star Destroyer, but the three of them use their Force powers to open the gate just enough for them to get through. That was I thought that was all really lovely stuff. Also, other observations, which I absolutely loved. Um, at one point, Ahsoka tells Ezra that he's not alone. And then around this time, Morgan says to Sabine, no, to Ahsoka, sorry. Morgan says to Ahsoka, you'll die here alone. And then Sabine appears and says, not alone. So again, some lovely little kind of word echoes there that kind of connects it together. And then when the night troopers attack Ezra, Ahsoka and Sabine, Ahsoka advises Sabine to move to laser. And then that develops into her having lightsaber in one hand and laser blaster in another. And that was just perfect. Half Jedi, half Mandalorian. And I thought that was extremely cool. Yeah, it's like she's trying She's trying with the lightsabers and Ahsoka's kind of like, you know, don't worry about the lightsaber. Use your blasters, you're more effective with those, right? There's too many of them. Yeah. So st- strategically, Ahsoka makes a call there, right? And then later on, Sabine, she comes across these, they're sort of like dark night troopers, almost like yeah. maybe midnight troopers. <laughs> um, but she's, th- there's two of them and they're basically beating up Sabine and Ezra. And the only way that, she, you know, essentially she needs to reach out and have pull her lightsaber towards her in order to win. Sabine's moment of finally properly connecting with the Force. But also, it's interesting, I made a note, it's almost like if Ezra's in danger, that brings out the Force in Sabine. Yeah, nice. Well, there's something definitely very emotional about Force power in the sense that if, you know... The Sith, they channel in on anger. It's always about emotions. It's channeling on anger, or if you Jedi is channeling in on either kindness or helpfulness or saving people. But it, but it's always you know connected to emotions. And it seems like when she's with Ezra and she wants to help him or save him, that's when her force powers come to the front. I think with Sabine, it always feels like she's doubted her own abilities to connect with the force and she's you know she doesn't have that sort of self-confidence or oneness with herself you know they talk about her wanting her desire for revenge against the empire and her desire to save Ezra at all costs and it's kind of finding that balance for Sabine within herself that will help her connect with the force I guess but yeah it was a nice a nice little victory for Sabine in that moment definitely I really enjoyed the Walker night troopers <laughs> yeah they were walkers really weren't they 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was some lovely sort of, I was a stormtrooper, but now I'm a zombie acting going on. But, they... but also, when one of them was killed, there was like this kind of green gas that came out of it, suggesting that he was basically a, a, a night sister re- resurrected, like like he was a spirit rather than uh, like Marok. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Marek was very similar, wasn't he? Which may suggest we will see him again. Definitely the magics of the Night Sisters that are, are, are reviving these troopers. And they do well, change from being night troopers to then being zombie troopers, I think. There's a difference to the way that they move and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. And also they're, they're, there's this kind of intense growl that comes from them, which took me a while, but kind of reminded me of Ghost, the... Um, Patrick Swayze, Debbie Moore film, when these kind of shadows that draw the villain character, I can't remember what his name was, but I think the actor was Aiden, someone, and they created the sound, which is very, very similar to the growls of these night troopers, by taking baby cries and deepening and elongating them. And you've got this really weird kind of growl but like kind of deeper resonance and it reminded me of that i don't know if that's what they did with this but it sounded very similar it seems like the easiest way to combat these zombie troopers is just to close the door on them (laughs) um which you have to do by slicing it with your lightsaber yeah and create some green mist I mean, don't just press the button to close the door. You need definitely slice it with your lightsaber. Presumably, that renders the door buttons inoperable. So they have to burn yeah. the doors, which takes them longer. You know, I get it. It's fine. It's all good. We, we dealt with doors in Star Wars for years, whether yeah. it's R2-D2 trying to open it or close it, whether it's been shooters, whether it's been people rolling under them. Doors are probably more powerful than the Empire. Well, then we get this moment of they are too late by the time they get there. But um, the the plan is for Ezra to jump and Sabine to use her force powers to push him onto the Star Destroyer and then for him to pull her up afterwards. Ezra makes it up there. There's a couple of troopers which they dispatch of. But Sabine, as you said earlier, doesn't go. She makes the decision. She sees Ahsoka fighting Morgan and the troopers. She decides to stay and help Ahsoka. So she kind of makes that decision to stay for Ahsoka rather than leave with Ezra. And then Ahsoka takes the Sword of Talzin and and kills Morgan with it, which was very, very cool. I enjoyed this moment. Yeah, it was. And it was satisfying as well. I mean, we needed needed something to be tied up or sliced up. That was great. And the thing is, Morgan had resigned herself to the she had to do what she could and obviously her intention was to either kill them or well certainly to stop them from going with Thrawn and so she slightly succeeded in stopping them from joining Thrawn but yeah she she made a big sacrifice well we see Ezra dragging a trooper off so he he listens to a radio call what was he doing uh he, he drags a trooper away having heard that there are reinforcements on the way so he's and and Ezra, you know, I've only watched two seasons of Rebels so far, but he has a long history of dressing up as a stormtrooper. I mean, if Ezra was going out on Halloween, I can guarantee his costume would be a stormtrooper one. Absolutely. And actually, that's kind of perfect timing for this episode. Like, we're in October, we're in spooky month with Halloween. We've got all these witches and warlocks and um, zombies. 
I mean, it, it's a very appropriate um, ending to be shown in October. I reckon you could definitely blue up and do a good throw on Neil. Oh, yeah. I'd <laughs> love to see that. I've got to be careful I don't look like Papa Smurf, though. <laughs> um, but Thrawn bombards the fortress. I presume this is kind of stopping anyone from following in the same way. You know, if anyone, if there were other yeah. knights down there, they could call someone to get them to come and rescue them. Anyway, but wait, 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 sorry, did you say other sisters down there? Yeah, the sisters, I believe, are going to be part of his army because we don't know what's in the cargo crates that's on his Crimea ship. Are they other night sisters or night brothers that are in a kind of chrysogenic state, um, like a, a soft version of carbonite? Because we know that night sisters were almost asleep and dormant for many years until Thrawn woke them. So I'm not sure he may, he may want to keep the three leaders, but I don't think I, I I I wonder what he's bringing with him. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like he's, we see him approaching Dathomir at the end. Like the final shot of Thrawn is him approaching Dathomir, yeah. and then we do get a shot of the cargo. We're reminded of all of the cargo that's there. So yeah, it will be fascinating to find out what that all mm-hmm. is. Definitely a question mark raised over that. Uh, but yeah, we talked about the sort of conversation that Thrawn has with Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, they escape by uh, thankfully Hu Yang's repaired the fulcrum enough for them to be able to jump down on top of it. But they're surfing the wings. I mean, we've seen Ahsoka do that before, but yeah, no, that was great. And then we get Hera and the Rebel fleet, and there's a night trooper on an Imperial vessel that Chopper quite bravely approaches, um, but turns out it's Ezra. He's like, hi, Hera, I'm home. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It brings to my mind, I want to come back to the Mortis gods, because we're now coming to the end of our various protagonists uh, and main characters. And we spoke earlier about Balin standing on the the hand of the father statue. And on one side of him, is, uh, on the left side of the father is the sun, which represents the dark side. And then on the right side is the daughter, um, who represents the light side. Now, the daughter is also represented through a bird, which is called Mori. And that's very much heavily associated with Ahsoka. Now, to finish off the statues, as it were, the daughter head has disappeared, has been knocked off or whatever. And there's also a kind of crevice, a kind of gap between her and the father. So there's almost a gap between the light side and the balance and the dark side. But Mori, the bird who represents the daughter, she's appeared many times associated with Ahsoka. She's appeared in the world between worlds, in Rebels. Vader saw the bird in the final shot of the Clone Wars series. The bird showed up on a burnt tree in the Mandalorian series when we first saw Ahsoka in live action. And that's why I said earlier that Ahsoka, or I've seen the Mori bird in Padilla with Ahsoka or near Ahsoka, suggests that that's where Ahsoka needs to be right now. That's why I was saying that, or one of the reasons why I think there's still a lot more to happen on Padilla, and that seems to be the right place for Ahsoka to do more work. Yeah, absolutely. That sort of vision of the owl is 
prompts Ahsoka to say Ezra is where he needs to be and so yeah. it's time to move on. And then we get this final sort of, I mean, I, I think it's comedy moment of Sabine thinking she's seen something in the sky, but no, it's just shadows in the starlight. And Ahsoka gives a really wistful look at the sky and then she turns around and then the ghost Anakin appears smiling at her benevolently. <laughs> We love it. We love it all. It was great. I thought this series was was really, really strong. And I'm looking forward to seeing where the story goes with them all. Very excited about this whole time period. Very excited to have the Rebels characters in live action, regardless of where we see them next. But yeah, thanks for doing this, Neil. Uh, we will be back soon, hopefully, talking about Gen V. Have you watched any of that yet? Yeah, I've watched the first episode so far. But yeah, enjoying it so far. I'm I'm looking forward to watching more and more. Great. Well, yeah, we should be chatting with that. We'll have some watch list episodes coming up soon as well. If you want to let us know what you thought of Ahsoka or what you're looking forward to watching... Then use the force. Or contact us on <laughs> the social media at Pod, or you can email tvdnapod at gmail.com. Uh, we've got uh, I think Skeleton Cruise is the next Star Wars yeah. thing. I think we're going to get the Acolyte next year as well. So there's definitely some interesting stuff coming Star Wars-wise and we will almost definitely be covering it, Neil and I. That just leaves me to say, Neil, no matter what, I'm going to be there for you. I know. <laughs>